talking with country music artist and songwriter Hardy, Philadelphia, Mississippi native. And Hardy, when I think of you, I think of going to the Neshoba County Fair and seeing a Mississippi State hat, a Mississippi State shirt, seeing you and your dad at a Mississippi State football game. Growing up in Philadelphia, Mississippi, what does Mississippi State mean to you? Oh, man, it means everything. Mississippi is interesting um, because there's no professional team in the state. And so college sports and, and, and really, uh, for, for me personally, you know, growing up, college football and college baseball was everything because Atlanta was too far, New Orleans was too far, and Memphis was too far. So that none of those professional teams ever really had a presence in my life, not to mention both of my parents went to state. And so my dad, you know, my dad beat it into my brain at an early age that that was the only school in Mississippi. That's what I gravitated to. I love sports. I played sports growing up, and, and the only you know, the only sports that I knew were, were Mississippi State sports. You know, I'm really thankful for that. I, I, I didn't go to state. I moved to Nashville when I was 19. I went to Middle Tennessee State University, but I'm a state fan through and through, and, and I love it so much, and, and it's very deep-rooted. I've been going to, to state sporting events since I was, you know, five years old, and I've been to something just about every year, uh, and I'm almost 30, so I love it, man. Talking with country music artist Hardy, and Hardy, the th- the thing right now with college sports and college baseball in general is the the stoppage of play, and, and we really don't know how to act right now with social distancing and with the quarantine, and we see the impact on college sports and professional sports, but what's the impact been in the music world? I mean, I've, I've had to cancel all of my shows indefinitely, and, I mean, it, it's just like sports. There's a, a – especially professional sports where, you know, the people entertaining – per se, are the ones making the money and everyone around them, their team, uh, not their athletic team, but their, you know, their publicists and their trainers and their this and their that. Everybody is out of work right now for the most part. Same thing. My band guys, my bus drivers, my agent. I mean, everybody that is on my team, is it's tough, man. It's the thing where we're our, you know, the way that we make money as a touring team uh, is contingent on playing shows always. So, it's really tough, man. It's just like all other, you know, industries, people that get paid to do day-to-day work. It's just come to a screeching halt. And it's uh, all we can do is hope and pray that this blows over and we can all get back to normal. And I, and I have full faith that it will. But it, it is, man. Everything everything has just come to a halt. And we're all just kind of sitting around waiting for it to blow over. And fortunately, I'm, you know, I'm a songwriter and I can do that with my time off, and which I'm very fortunate for that. But as far as the touring goes, it, it is. It's come to a halt. And, and uh, everybody's just kind of waiting around and praying for it to end soon. Uh, Hardy, we talk about the shows. But what about the Spotify's and the downloads and and things of that nature. I mean, how does that impact you know what you do as a business? Because I know the business has completely changed because you used to sell so many records, but now it's all about individual downloads. How has that part of the industry changed in the last five years? Well, it's basically it's just changed how much money is pumped into the music industry in general. For songwriters, songwriters don't make a life-changing amount of money anymore unless their song that they write is played on the radio it's got to be top 30 or better for you to make a what a lot of people would say a life-changing amount amount of money you know a down payment on a house or a vehicle or something like that with spotify and all that the laws haven't been changed to just to put it as blunt as possible to pay the songwriters that same amount that they would make back in the day if they had a song that wasn't on the radio but made it on a big album uh, and that and the record sold you know two or three million copies the songwriter would make that same radio money that they would make today if a song went number one back in the day but now that records don't sell anymore 
the only way that they can make money is through uh, the radio because Spotify and all and all these other streaming services, the laws or whatever that are in place, they don't have the songwriters making even remotely close to a percentage um, that they would have on a record that sold a lot back in the day. It's really tough and a lot of people are fighting for it and we're trying to get it fixed and we're trying to get it. We're just trying to talk to Congress. Everybody's trying to tell them that this is becoming a dying industry because there's no there's no money being pumped into it because of streaming services and just how the internet has changed the game a lot in the past 20 years. Hardy, I imagine offensive coordinators sitting in their office and drawing up really cool plays and having that moment where they don't exactly want to go share it with the head coach because they may want to keep it for themselves. You've got to have a similar kind of conflict as a songwriter now and then where you write something really good. Boy, I don't know if I want Blake Shelton to have this one. I might want to keep it for my own. How does that work out as to to whether it goes to somebody else or whether you take it? Well, I have a rule when I go into a room because I don't write a lot of songs by myself. The way Nashville works is you kind of, through years of trial and error, you find your crew of 10 or 15 people that you like to rotate in and out of writing with. So I have found that crew, and when I go into a room, they know and I know that I'm there to write the best song that day and the best idea. So I always go into a write wanting to write the best song, and half the time, it's not a song that I would record as an artist. You know, I have my sound and I have kind of my, you know, what I want to say as an artist. And a lot of times it's not what I would do, but I never want to steer a song in the direction. If it's going in a good direction, I don't ever want to try to turn that into something that I would do. I just want to write the best song every day. So half the time, you know, we'll finish something, you know, what we always do when we finish a great song, I will instantly say, I want to keep this for myself. Or we all just say, who could record this? And and I'm really proud of my crew of songwriters that they respect that and they respect me enough as a songwriter that when they write with me, they're not trying to get a hearty cut every time. They're not trying to write a song for me. They they respect that I'm a songwriter just as much as I am an artist. So it's tough and it was a lot tougher at the very beginning because I was at the beginning of my singing career because, you know, I really still wanted to get cut. They call them cut when people record your song. I really wanted that, but now I'm, I'm just kind of at peace with it. That Back in the day, if I wrote a really great song, I almost wanted someone else to have it more than me. And to be honest, just because the way the process goes, you have a lot quicker chance of giving it to somebody else and it getting on the radio than keeping them for yourself for months at a time and then recording them and then waiting until your next single, you know, ends the cycle and then going to radio with maybe that good song that, you know, you wrote and kept for yourself for so long. But no, it's gotten a lot better. I'm just very conscious of what my sound is now. I've really got that dialed in, so it's just 50-50. Talking with country music artist and songwriter Hardy, native of Philadelphia, grew up a Mississippi State fan. And, and Hardy, you wrote the, the number one song for Blake Shelton, God's Country. And so many times when you start talking about being a songwriter, or what I think of being a songwriter is you know, if I'm sitting on a street corner in Starkville, Mississippi, and I see a yellow Corvette drive by, okay, am I going to work a yellow Corvette into my next song? In my mind, in, in my mind, when I listen to Blake Shelton's God's Country, I'm thinking you took a detour from Philadelphia up Highway 21, and you were driving right by the Nanawaya Mound when you wrote, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a song named God's Country." Is that how it happened? Dude, you're actually not very far off <laughs> geographically or metaphorically at all. Um, no kidding. I I got that idea. We have a little land out at Bogachita, which is just uh, uh, I guess not far. Nanawaya, just a few miles. Oh, and, you're, uh, you're making me feel good. One morning. 
Yeah, man. And I was watching the sun come up, and uh, I had, you know, I that I heard, I learned that phrase, that term from my dad. And when we would, every time we'd come to a game or we'd come to Starkville, and we would cross that from Winston County into Octavia he would say, "We're, you know, we're in God's country," and that's where I learned that. So I did, man. I I, I got that from sitting in a deer stand one day deer hunting and, and uh, all that gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. That's this big, long dirt road that we have to just some land that just turns into swamp. And for most people, it is nothing, you know. But, yeah, you're close, man. You were, you were right on the money pretty much. <laughs> if we talk about experiences and how they can lead to ideas for songs, I'm just waiting on the first Mike Leach press conference-inspired song that you'll be coming out with. I'll tell you what, man. I've seen a lot of his uh, a lot of his interviews as well as I'm sure most state fans have now, and he's definitely got a lot of good, uh, we call them one-liners. He's got a lot of things to, uh, he says a lot of interesting things, so I, I'm sure that it's coming. If it's not... If it's not directly about a, about Mike Leach, it's going to be something that he said. I'm sure, hopefully, if we get to play football this fall, I'm going to be paying attention to everything he says because he definitely says some, some thought-provoking things at times. Here's what we need. Okay, back in the mid-1980s, Gene Morgan, who pitched here, his dad wrote a song, I'm Proud to Be a Bulldog from Good Old MSU. Here's what we need you to do. Someday or some night when you've got nothing going on, and you're like, you know what? I need to make up a song. I need to come up with a song about Mississippi State baseball. That's what we need. That's what we're. That's what Charlie and I are commandeering you to do is to come up with some kind of song about Bulldog baseball. All right, I think I can do that. <laughs> Hardy, we appreciate Give me a little you. Time, and I'll, I'll figure something out. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks, Hardy. And when we come back, we'll talk about our great moments of Bulldog history. We'll take a look back at that 2012 SEC tournament championship on our Country Pleasing Sausage Look Back segment right after this on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. 